Okay, first of all, um, I hang out with middle schoolers and high schoolers, and I ask them direct questions. So if you get very quiet, or if I see some of you like nodding off like this, I typically am like, Lydia, and then I'll ask her a very specific question. So just be aware, your name could be called out loud, and if I don't know your name, it'll be the shirt pattern color, or hey, you in the middle, or I'll just call somebody over and over and over that I know their name, and it'll be really fun either way. Sound good? Um, let's pray this morning, shall we? Dear Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Um, God, just like all the songs that we sang this morning uh, just repeatedly said, Lord, you are holy and worthy, and uh, this is all for you. Uh, everything we do, not just here on a Sunday morning, God, but calling ourselves Christians, falling in love with you, being saved by you, every part of our life as Christians then gets turned towards you. God, I pray that you would help us and refocus our attention daily on you. I pray that you would uh, show yourself to us in your word this morning as well as every morning, God. Lord, in everything we do today, we just want to bring you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so every now and then at youth, we do this thing called, let's just have real talk. So we're not going to do the like Christian answers and just the regular type of deal where it's like, oh, we should be good people and love Jesus and love others. So we're just going to do real talk and just kind of have like an update. So we've been going through the first four chapters of Matthew, right? Everybody, if you're with me, just sort of nod, sort of nod. Yes, yes, we have been. Well done, you've been paying attention. Um, and we've been hearing about this kingdom of God, and it's been this setup for what Jesus is going to start to tell us to do. So it's been this build, this momentum of showing us who Jesus is, why he came, and to set up this moment for where after Christmas, we're going to start to hear kind of crazy stuff that Jesus says, very nonchalantly at times, very directly at times, but always with a purpose and a meaning. And one of the things that um, I'm often talking to the youth on Wednesdays about is, like, this is not a social club. We're not trying to just make you feel good about yourself during the week. This is not where you leave the world and come and get to hang out with your, like, nice friends, and then you go back out and do the regular things you do. We really want it to matter. We really want what we do on Wednesday nights for our youth to impact them, not because I'm cool or my wife is cool, although Stephanie is very cool, and the girls all know it, most of the boys won't really talk to me yet. It's okay. I'm getting there. Um, no, but we, it's not really about us at all. Or the leaders who volunteer, the families who help. Although we're very thankful for that, we really want to direct the attention of everybody that comes in on Wednesday to Jesus. And so I'd like to do that again this morning. So I have a question for you. Would you guys all turn in your Bibles? <laughs> that was loud. Uh, to 2 Corinthians 13.5. And when you get there, say, got it. 2 Corinthians. Nice, you guys are ahead of me. I only heard like four goddits, so I'm just... Sweet. You guys ready? 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. It says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified, but I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Look at verse 5 one more time. It says, examine yourselves as to test yourselves whether you are in the faith. So that's kind of like, let's just start out there. We've been talking about Matthew. I don't know all of you in the room, but I know a large portion of you. And for the most part, all of you tell me that you're professing Christians. I'm a professing Christian. So let's just pause and just like take a moment, think to yourself, look at your spouse or look at your kids. And, huh, do I know that I'm in the faith? And we'll just, and just take a pause, just a moment. Look at, look at each other. Are you? Are we? 
Because that's what we ask our youth every Wednesday. It's not like, hey, we prayed, we prayed on a Wednesday to, like, for your friend or for your mom and dad, and then we forgot about it. The next Wednesday, we really want to hear, like, did God do anything about that that you prayed? How was it at school? What are you guys struggling with? Like, how are your teachers? How are your relationships with your siblings? How are the relationships with your parents? Are you encouraging your parents? Do you have Christian parents? Do you know how to communicate with them about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is? Do you know what it means to actively participate in this? And we try not to let them get away with too much, but obviously that can get intense if we just hammer them all the time. So we have a little bit of fun. But honestly, as adults, it's a really good question. I mean, Stephanie and I talk about it all the time. Are we, are we actually doing, like, does this matter? Or are we just doing for doing's sake? So with that in mind, turn to 1 John 5, verse 1 through 5. 1 John 5, 1 through 5. Again, just let me know if you're there. Perfect. Okay. Let's just pray one more time. Lord Jesus, just remove me and let your word speak through. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 John 5, chapter 1, chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. It says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone who loves him, who begot also loves him, who is begotten of him. Verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who has overcome the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, so what I want to talk to you guys about, we sing a lot of song about overcoming, waymaker, having faith, loving Jesus, and oftentimes I just stop and pause and like, is that just a word that we say that makes sense? What am I overcoming? What does it mean to overcome? Does it matter if I have or not? Like, is it all about me or is it all about Jesus? What does that actually look like? So when I was reading and just kind of studying on this, God kind of took me to these verses And if you read through there, it really has, first of all, nothing to do with you other than the fact that you accept the free gift of salvation that Jesus has already provided. It doesn't matter whether or not you die on the cross. Jesus already did 2,000 years ago. And so it's available for you. It's there, and that is what has already overcome the world. So right up front, let's just remember that. Like, that's the baseline. It has nothing to do with how good you are, with everything you do during your day, with how much you strive, with how much you make, with how good your kids are, with the legacy that you're leaving, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It has everything to do with coming back to the fact that 2,000 years ago, God so loved you and me and the rest of the world, regardless of if they know him, that he sent his only son to die on a cross so that we could have salvation from our sins, be reconciled with him, and ultimately be brought into the relationship from the beginning that he planned all along. I mean, that's what we're telling our youth. That's the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with everything you do being perfect, pleasing everybody else, and living a a spotless life yourself, because you cannot do it. We don't have time to get into all the verses as to why you can't, but we do have time to get into the verses why God did, right? Okay, so let's define our terms really fast from 1 John verses 5, 1 through 5, because without understanding, it's kind of easy to just kind of gloss over some of this stuff. So first of all, a son and a daughter of God is whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ. We've already talked about what the Christ is, Christ meaning Messiah, meaning the whole reason the book is written for Jesus. So if you believe that he is the Christ, son and daughter, which makes us brothers and sisters, so there we can go. 
children of God, again, is when we love God and keep his commandments. And there are really two commandments that Jesus gave us that sum up the whole law. He said it in Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40. Again, something we talk to the youth over and over and over about because it comes back to this baseline of love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. And then the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So again, go back to the very first question from 2 Corinthians. Are we in the faith? Do we believe that Jesus is the Christ? Check. And are we keeping his commandments? Are we putting him first above all else? And then right after that, are we looking at everyone else through that lens of, I have to then love them as Christ loved me? Again, there's the definition of our terms. The world is defined as a system. It's sin. It's a fallen system. It's what we live in every day. It's what we're born into. Ellis is six months old, and he's already a sinner. He's showing us all the time. He likes to put his foot in his mouth and then his foot into my mouth. It's disgusting. It's wrong. You know what I mean? There are things that he's figuring out all on his own. It's kind of crazy to think about that because it's easy to say we've all sinned and we've fallen short, but it's crazy to think that a baby's born into this world as a sinner. It's kind of... Now then flip that around. You as a child of God, God sees you as the same way as I see Ellis. As a little six-month-old, when we first become Christians, as like this moment of... I can't. Like Ellis, for instance, he will go towards a very sharp corner, and you're like, he, obviously he doesn't understand English, or if he does, he doesn't speak it. And so as I'm telling him English, he's speaking to me in German or something, and he goes towards the sharp corner, and he, it's like, he's going to hit his head, he's going to hit his head, he's going to hit his head. Bam! Lo and behold, he hits his head. Right? Sometimes God's looking at us like, we're Christians, we're children of his. He loves us unconditionally. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. You were born into him. He loves you. Because he, he died for you, sent his son for you. And he looks at you just as he does his son, as an heir with Christ. And so then he sees us walking through our life and is like, no, don't do it, no, don't do it. All right, you're choosing to do it. You're going to hit your head. Bam. But he doesn't say, what an idiot. Right? Like I wouldn't look at Ellison and be like, you butthead, why would you do that? You dummy. No, you're like, oh, man, that head is heavy. And he has no idea that it's going to lean over and smack that thing. So again, defining our terms, that's where we're coming from, is we're children of God and we're, and we're falling into this. The next thing is an overcomer. If you look at the, the last verse there, verse 5, it says, Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Again, did it say anything about you winning souls for the kingdom? Did it say anything about you living a perfect life, getting married and raising perfect kids, providing for everybody? starting organizations that save other people. No, it doesn't. An overcomer is he who attaches himself to who God is and whom he loves us through his son. And it says, if you believe that he is the Christ, you're a son of God and therefore an overcomer because God already overcame the world 2,000 years ago. Somebody say yeehaw or something. That's a little exciting, right? You're just, I I realize that you are all the parents of your kids because you're staring at me just like they do. What do you think about that? I don't know. You don't know? Nope, I don't know. Ask somebody else. (laughs) But I know you guys know. Okay, so there's kind of our definitions of who an overcomer is. And this is something else that Stephanie and I have been talking a lot about. For those of you who don't know, Stephanie is my wife. She's not some random person I'm referencing. She's very cute, and she's sitting right there. Um, But we do a lot of talking, and she's my barometer, right? So if I am asking... If I'm asking questions about, man, is God wanting me to do this? Is God wanting me to do that? Lord, what are you doing? I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. Uh, I usually test it on her to see if, she, if God's telling her the same thing. And if so, it's like, yes. And if not, it's like, darn it. Because if I force it, it usually ruins us. Let me give you an example. Uh, for the first oh, four or five years of our marriage, I thought that 
the, the other way I'm telling you. I thought that to be an overcomer meant to have everything put together. It meant to go to church on Sundays and be on staff or lead things and be in charge, to read your Bible every single day, to be an excellent provider, to be in charge. I was raised with this idea that you were a leader raised up to lead men and women. You're going to be in charge. You need to be a leader to be effective. So I had that mindset from a kid. So I just saw every opportunity as, well, I'm going to lead then. And so I did that even in through marriage. And I started to go through the motions and tried to live out the Christian life in my own strength. And ultimately what I did is make every single compromising decision because I was focused on my ability to overcome the world. So in my job, I was never satisfied because I either wasn't making enough money, I didn't have enough time at home, or we were struggling in some other capacity, or, or it just wasn't, it wasn't going to lead me to a place of being in charge or having this position to then be a good Christian in front of a lot of other people. So then I'd switch and I'd try something else. And I drug my wife all over the country doing dumb things, thinking that this is going to be the next thing. If I make it and I get to that point, then I'll be a good Christian. We'll make a lot of money, we'll get to this place where we're involved in church, and then with all of our excess, we'll be able to bless everybody else, and we'll be these incredible Christians, and people who like, the Blazers are so cool. And I, you guys, I about ruined us. I literally ran our marriage into the ground, dragging my wife all over the place, trying to do what God had already done, and then do it in such a way that I'm dragging her along, thinking she's not doing it either, and we have to look this certain part. For any of you in the room, just take, you don't have to raise your hand whatsoever, but it is hard in marriage to not try and coach the other person. Or when you're listening to something really good, you don't take it in yourself. You look at them like, did you hear that? <laughs> Submission. You know? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it's, it's true. Like, that's, that's kind of the aspect of what happens. And so you get to this point where years down the road, you look at your life, and I look at this position where my, I've driven my wife away from me and into the ground, we have nothing to show for it. People do not like me. I'm kind of a turd. I have to think about that sometimes. Uh, turd. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not living out anything that Jesus actually said. So I look at, so then the examine your life part comes to this, where I hit this point where you look at your life. Ask the people around you or have somebody else ask the people around you. Is Kyle, is, is Kyle growing in spiritual maturity? It took six months of me trying to do it God's way before Stephanie ever saw any actual fruit. And it came from somebody else asking her, hey, how are things going? And she was like, huh, they're not as bad. But it takes time, you guys. It's not an overnight thing. We're t I, Chris and I, <laughs> I'm kind of going all over the place. I, I promise you I'll bring it back in. Chris and I were uh, asked to speak to the middle school here, Blake's Middle School, the 6th and 7th graders. They were doing this seminar thing on men of character. And it was funny because we were laughing. And our first question was, well, can we talk about Jesus? Because uh, if it came to my character, it sucks. And I, I don't have anything else that's made my character better other than the saving power of Jesus Christ in my life. And so without that, it's just kind of like fluff. And it was funny, I was thinking about that this week, and as I was talking to the 6th and 7th graders, you realize anything I say that doesn't point people to Jesus, it really just doesn't stick. It doesn't, because at a certain point, you will all get exhausted and worn out. We all do, because you can't strive your way into heaven. You can't strive your way into relationship with Jesus. It comes naturally by submission and just knowing that he already did it for you. And then you take all the focus off of what you can do, and you put it on what he did, and then you just practically start to walk that out in what he said. Now, that's what's always said on Sundays, and that's what I find myself doing on Wednesdays, is telling people what they should or shouldn't do without giving them anything that they can do. Stephanie, I've been talking a lot about this too. 
I say this a lot. Stephanie and I have been talking. Stephanie and I have been talking. It's because we love each other and she's real cute. And she's smarter than me. But we've been talking and we've been praying a lot together because she's going through her master's degree program in counseling. And she's been seeing how everything points back to the gospel because God's a great counselor. It's pretty cool. All these things she's learning in school, if you put them with the lens of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus and the Bible, it all works out. It's kind of crazy. But she was seeing that with certain people and individuals, if you tell them to just do better, if you tell them stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that, but you don't give them anything else to replace or to do, they're going to fall down again. Because if you take away the one things that they are doing, it becomes super depressing or becomes super vacant and your life becomes empty and void and you don't know what to fill it with if somebody's just telling you to stop that, stop that, stop that. First of all, you should stop that. Like sin. You should, you should ask forgiveness for your sins. We, if we want to be Christians, God cannot be a part of sin or with sin, but he's offered us a way through Jesus to be in relationship with him. So there's one way, and it's his way. So first, please, if, you, if you're doing drugs or stepping out on your wife or husband or being a jerk at work or fighting people or stealing or murdering people, please stop. Like, so that, just up front, I'm not saying don't stop sinning, but the cool part about it is is after that point, it really has nothing to do with your strength. It has everything to do with Jesus already did on the cross for you. So replacing it with the gospel of Jesus Christ rather than the gospel of Kyle. Because if I go back to the gospel of Kyle, I end up running my wife into the ground and I end up not being a very fun person to deal with because it's stressful in the world and life is hard and challenging and I'm, I'm just a human being like you are and we have sin. We have, we have this battle we're wrestling with all the time. We're not perfect. So you look to Jesus who is. Okay, so... Who does the work? Jesus, right? We've been talking about that. So here's some practical things. Flip over, we'll just look right back in 1 John, verse 4 of chapter 4. And it says, I'm going to go through these kind of quick so I can get to the good stuff. Although this is all good stuff. Uh, Verse 4, it says, You are God, little, oh goodness, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, It is by grace you have been saved, not uh, not of works and not of anything you would do, but by the gracious gift of Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, 26 through 29 says, We're all sons of God through faith and therefore heirs, just like Christ is, according to what Christ had done for us. Romans 3, 23 through 24 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But by Jesus' free gift, we have a way back to God. Romans 5, 8 says, while we are still sinners, Christ died for you. So any of you who are not Christians in the room, Christ died for you. It's not an exclusive club. You're in. You just get to choose whether or not you're going to receive the free gift. Romans 8, 31 through 39 is, if God is for us, who can be against us? And later on down in 36, or down towards 38, 39, it says, for we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Again, nothing of what you're doing, everything points back to Jesus. John 16, says, in the world you will have trials, but I have already overcome the world. Jesus said that, and he hadn't even died yet, but he knew he was going to, and then he rose from the dead. So the overcoming has already been done. If you guys would turn to Revelation 12, verse 11, I know some of this stuff is out of context as far as like the rest of the book goes, but the principle of the matter is the exact same all the way through, which is, it is by Jesus and what he did for you has nothing to do with what Kyle did for you or what you did for you or what Chris does for you or what Anthem does for you or what your parents did to you or didn't do to you. It has everything to do with who Jesus is and what he did for you. Turn to Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. 
It says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death. And the him that they overcame is the accuser, Satan, the evil one, the one who comes against us every single day. And if you don't think that Satan's out to steal, kill, and destroy your life, it's kind of dumb, because the Bible says he is. Not all the time, not him specifically, but this is like the world that we live in is the sinful nature, and he's trying to take as many of us with him. And if he can get you to just live nominally and not live for Jesus but for yourself as a quote-unquote Christian, that's the easiest thing for him to do, make it comfortable for you, and it's totally fine. It's easy to get the focus off of Jesus and back on you. Characters throughout the Bible did it. This is a pattern we see over and over. You could see, like, for instance, Abraham lied twice about his wife, said it was his sister, twice, and almost got them all killed. It was crazy. Moses struck the rock and didn't get to go into the promised land. After 80 years, or almost 120 years of of doing things right, following God, and taking the Israelites through all the miraculous things, he messed up. He got, his, he got his eyes off of God, got his eyes on him, struck the rock, doesn't get to go in. Elijah complained and wanted to die, ultimately became suicidal to a point, right after he saw God do this incredible stuff on the mountain of Carmel, or Mount of Carmel, mountain of Carmel. David was an adulterer and a murderer, typical story, most of us know about that. Peter denied Christ three times. Of all the things that those people did, some of us have done some of them, some of us have done all of them, some of us have done less than that, but the, the point of the matter is this, when we get our eyes off of Jesus and we put our eyes on ourselves, all the good that you do is for naught, because it is not about you. It's about Jesus. We have a couple staying with us that have walked through, oh gosh, years of life with us. Um, their last name is Ellis. Our son's name is Ellis. I'll let you guys put two and two together. Um, but they loved us intentionally, and they were the first people to really show Stephanie and I what it looks like to love God first, above all, and put him first. I'm not saying they're perfect, they make mistakes, and we make fun of them for those mistakes. It's kind of fun. But, but the point is, is, they were a Christian couple who sat down and showed us that regardless of where you're at, if you put your focus on Jesus, he will do what he promised to do, which is to bring you life and life abundantly. He'll walk you back into relationships that were lost. He will bring kids back. He will save you from yourself. He will save you from depression, from all these things. And I'm saying this, you guys, because I was absolutely 100% there. If you met me three years ago, you would not like me. Number one, Chris wouldn't have put me up here either because it would have been very, very different. And I'm not saying that to be self-deprivating. All glory goes back to Jesus. And what I mean to say is this. The Bible tells us exactly how to have relationship with Jesus. It is kind of the manual, and it works. Some of you have been Christians for a long time. Some of you have been Christians for a short time. And you've probably both found out by now that the Bible can at times be challenging. Sometimes it doesn't make sense right away. Sometimes it's boring to read. Sometimes it makes more sense to sleep in because I'm tired. Sometimes it makes more sense to take care of my son because he's screaming. Sometimes it makes sense because life gets busy and challenging. And the first thing to go, if you're honest, first thing to go for me is time with the Lord. That's crazy, isn't it? If my life is about Jesus and everything is surrendered unto him, why would that be the first thing that goes? The first thing that comes into play is worry, worry about finances, stress, worrying if I'm going to be able to provide for my family, concern about other people in relationships. What are they thinking about me? Am I doing enough? Am I letting people down? Oh my gosh, I haven't met with that person yet. Oh, I haven't tried to help this person. Oh, I'm letting people down. Those are the things that take in. What, the focus is all on me. What I can do, what I can do, what I can do. And it has nothing to do with what I can do. And I'm not trying to hammer this simple message at you guys because I think you're dumb. I really think you guys all know this, but it is really hard 
to remind ourselves of this. That's why Romans says you have to remind yourself daily. It's a renewing of your mind daily. It's practicing this daily. And I am one to say, I tried to be a Christian in my own strength. I went to church every Sunday. I was raised in the church. I was on a worship team. I did all sorts of things. And in my own strength, I led my life to complete ruin until I finally got to a point where a certain individual named Ray in the room looked at me and said, you're, going, you're at the bottom and you're going to really, really be at the bottom unless you try it God's way. And he just left the decision to me. He didn't hammer it to me. He didn't force me because no one can force you to do anything. That's the beauty of being a Christian and loving Jesus. It has everything to do with you. Whether you're a kid, married, single, old, young, no matter what life circumstances you've been at, every single one of us have the opportunity to decide today whether or not I'm going to take Jesus at his word or I'm going to take Jesus at my word. My experiences, my feelings versus the word of God. And I can tell you, if you don't know the word of God, then you don't know all the promises that are there. It's crazy. I dedicated my life to Jesus, and I, and I said, okay, your way. And every single day, I forced myself to get up, and I started, I didn't know how to read the Bible really well, so I started at the beginning, I started in the middle, and I started in the New Testament, and just thought, I'll read three verses a day of all three. God, you're going to have to do something, because it doesn't always make sense, and I don't get it. What's interesting, though, is how many of you um, like to work out? Okay, how many of you do not like to work out? Excellent. That's where I am most of my life. It's good to meet all of you, kindred spirits. But what I have realized is I don't like to work out because I'm out of shape. Stephanie and I went running the other day. Uh, sorry, Neil and Hannah. I was good on my foot, I promise. But we went running uh, yesterday or the other day, and we made it like maybe a half a mile. And we were both like, man, I, I think I need to go to the chiropractor. Something's wrong. All these things. And we look at each other. No, <laughs> we're just out of shape. <laughs> we can't run. It's no fun. But what's crazy is when you do discipline yourself and, and you work out, and a lot of people equate the Christian life to working out, and sometimes that rubs people the wrong way, and I get that. So it's not just about working out, but it's just a good example. I'll give you another example. Um, when you join the military and you enlist, you are given everything you need to be a part of the United States military. As soon as you sign and you, and you pledge your life away and they send you to boot camp, you are in the Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, United States Coast Guard, uh, whether you like it or not. And you're in just as much as somebody who's been in 20 years. The crazy thing is, is you have everything that they have, and you have everything to be successful. You just don't have the practical application. You haven't been through boot camp. You haven't been to your first station. You haven't seen any action. You have no idea what it's like to point your rifle or your weapon at somebody else, knowing that they're doing the same thing to you. You can tell yourself all you want. You can go through all the drills and train and train and train and train. But once you get into the fight, all of a sudden it becomes real. And all that training has a purpose and a reason. The crazy thing, you guys, is, is we're all in spiritual warfare every single day. How many of you have family? Easy question. Right? Or friends that you consider family? Are all of them Christians? No. My siblings right now, none of them are pursuing Christ, and I used to get offended or frustrated at them, and now I realize I really don't want my brothers and my sister to go to hell. Like, I really want them to have successful relationships. I don't want to see them divorced. I don't want them to, to see them as single parents. I want them to have life and life abundantly. I want them to know the love of Christ and mature and grow in him just like I am. I don't want to see them fall on their face. It's, it's the same in the rest of the world. The crazy thing is, is you guys, we're in spiritual warfare at your workplace. You don't have to quit your job and work at a church to be in the Christian life. Actually, stay in your job. 
Do a really good job at your job. Be the best person in your job there. Be on time every time. Love the people that you're around. Hold up your end of your job so that no one can look at, that, at you and say, man, that guy's lazy. Because everything we do has a reflection on how people think of Christ. Even though he's perfect, we're not. So be the best you can be at your job. The practical application of this is we're constantly in warfare. Go back to the military example, right? When you're in boot camp, for those, any military, anybody been in the military? You guys all know, when you went through boot camp, it was tough and challenging. People were yelling at you, but it's way different than the real world when you're out in it, actually experiencing it. But the training all makes a difference. So go back to the example of reading your Bible daily, daily giving yourself over to Christ in the morning. If it's for 10 minutes, do it. If it's in the shower, do it. If it's when you first wake up, do it. I don't care, but just start somewhere because the training that you guys are doing from personal experience, let me tell you, it changed my life. Six months after I started doing that, my wife actually slept in the same bed with me again. It was awesome. Three years after that, we have a son. God bless us with a son. That never would have happened. And I promise you, it's because I gave myself over to the end of Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 it says and they didn't fear their life unto death it doesn't matter if i die my relationship's already dead people don't like me my job sucks i feel hopeless helpless i'm struggling with depression i don't like to do anything god you're my last if that's where you're at that's okay all of us hit that point sometime lots of people have men and women of christ all the time have hit that point if you're there that's all right turn your life to christ and say help but then don't think that because you said help once and you just said take it that, it, that the enemy gives up, that life changes drastically. It took two years of Stephanie and I walking this out practically, giving ourselves over to Jesus, both of us separately. Jesus had to become primary first only. And the stupid, dorky tradition of Christian church that said marriage is like a triangle, it was true. You put husband and wife on the other side and you put God at the center, the closer you individually get to God, the closer you individually get to each other. And all of a sudden you have a love that only Christ can give to you because you recognize that it's not of you. We should be dead, depressed, and alone. But we have Jesus. What, look at what he saved my life from. Why on earth would I hold that over my wife? You know what I'm saying? Anyway, just a little bit of something, something. So what does it look like to be a man or woman of faith? Because I can talk all the time, but it's just me talking. So let's go to the Bible. Okay, Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I'm going to come back to Romans 1.17 here in a second. Um, but it references Habakkuk 2.4 that says, the just shall live by faith. Galatians 2.20 says, the life I live now is by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 11.20 says, we are grafted in, aka we're part of the family. So our faith is in belief. And then all of a sudden we're a child of God, and think again back to how parents, you look at your children, sometimes they do dumb things, but you still love them, right? You want to see them not do dumb things, so you love them more intentionally. You try and guide them and show them. That's what we have a part of. Second Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. This is the hardest one. It's the most cliche one that I ever heard. I had a friend who had it tattooed on his back, annoyed the crap out of me, because he beat me in races all the time, and it was really, really, really annoying to see I walk by faith, not by sight. And he would run with his eyes closed and say that he won. It was really dumb. But besides that, it's really true. We walk by faith, not by sight. Look at Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. 
Doody doody. Anybody else a hummer? <laughs> Romans 1. You guys there? Verses 16 through 17, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to, to the salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. I'm going to read that one more time. Starting in verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Faith, what I've come to realize, is not becoming a man of faith or having this faith in Christ that we can be overcomers in the world. Again, go back to definition. We're not overcomers by anything we do, but by what Jesus did. We're children of God and having faith that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the reason that we're all here and the purpose of being a Christian all, all together. So if we go back to that idea and you look at Romans and it says, is God's righteousness and his way is revealed from faith to faith, just like it says in Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. Faith to faith is not some higher plane you achieve. It's not a spiritual awesome moment in a worship song or when God like heals your child from an ailment. Faith is part in that, working out in that. But what faith is, is doing just this. I believe that God's word says that I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he has a plan and a purpose for me. I, I believe that he has a plan and a purpose for my wife, for my child, for my family. I believe that in here it says persecutions are going to come, but God's already overcome the world, and I don't have to fear those persecutions. They already persecuted Jesus. They're going to persecute us. But we're to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbors at ourselves. And in the end, we already know in, in Revelation that God wins and we get to live in eternity with him. If that's all true, then I'm going to take God at his word in spite of myself. That's faith to faith. So every day when you wake up and finances are challenging, trust me, there. Anybody? Finances? There. Car trouble? Kids acting out in school? Medications being weird? job, really challenging. I mean, these are just basic life things. That's, that's not even really like somebody coming to kill you because you're a Christian, but just daily life stuff. You realize every day you have a chance to wake up, and in the morning, I try and do that. I try and surrender personally my life to the Lord and say, okay, God, in spite of myself and what I see is my surroundings and my predicament, I'm going to take you at your word, which is you love me, and if I love you with my whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, I'm keeping all this lost stuff together. Give me then the ability to do the second part, to love others as you would love me. Give me the opportunity to share you and be a witness unto you one more time to somebody else that I get to be a part of. God, open up an opportunity at the grocery store with kids in our youth, with parents of our youth. Open up an opportunity in the middle schools. I prayed that for six months. Got one. <laughs> kind of cool. You take it at, at his word in spite of yourself. And I'm not going to lie to you, it's really challenging. Stephanie and I often fight because I'm taking it at myself, not at God's word. I get frustrated with finances. I start freaking out and thinking, I don't think I can work for a church. It doesn't pay the bills. There's no way this is going to, and I'm not asking for money, please. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. God is my provider. I don't need your money. But see, I have to tell myself that because it's real easy to think, well, this isn't working. We only have, we only have like eight kids at church if we split churches. It's really odd. I probably should be a better steward of money. I should probably just get another job. I should probably just start thinking a little bit differently about this. I need to provide. Ellis was sick for three weeks straight. First baby, I don't know, is he dying? I don't know. Do I need to take him to a doctor? We don't have insurance. I'm not sure. All those things are true, 
right? In my world, in my circumstances. But then I take God at his word, and I go back to the last thing God asks me to do. God asks me to submit myself to him and serve the youth of this church. Okay, he hasn't told me anything since then, so I'll go back to the last thing he told me to do, and I'll just keep doing that to the best of my abilities, giving him all glory and honor and power. I want to encourage you. That's faith to faith. It's not, it's not tricky, it's not fancy, and it's challenging every single day. But faith to faith is taking God at his word, not yours. And the cool part is, you know what his word says. And there's a pattern that's been shown for years of this same cycle. Take God at his word, trust him with who he is and why he created you and the plans and purposes he has for your life rather than yours. And just see what happens. I'm here to tell you, good stuff happens, hard stuff happens, but it's all worth it. What I'd love to do to sum this up, I'm going to have the worship team come up. Um, I would love it if in families, if you guys would pray for one another. Uh, One of the things we've been encouraging our youth to do is pray for their parents and their siblings. And I think if you're all here as a unit, it'd be cool to have you pray together. Pray for each other in your work, in your jobs, in school, in your homes, that you're going to take God at his word. Just try it as a family together. Not just one of you. If it's just one of you, that's fine too. But as a family, commit it. Just try it for a week. Challenges will come, but try it for a week. If you don't have families here, if it's just two of you, if you're in a group of friends, do the same thing. Let's group up into four or five people. Pray over one another. Pray for each other in their jobs, in school situations, what's going on. Ask God to give you encouragement, give you peace, and to open up his word for understanding to you, to start to guide your life. But if you guys wouldn't mind, you you definitely can stand now if you want, I promise. Nobody's going to get mad if you want to. But if you guys want to stand up, kind of group up uh, in fours and fives, families together. If you're not part of family, if there's just a couple of you, group up as couples. Pray for the other people's marriages. Pray for their kids. But just pray for one another. We're going to sing a worship song up here for a few minutes. After you're done praying, if you want to join with us in singing, that would be great. But as you guys are going, let me just pray for you guys as you're starting to group up here. Dear Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the truth that's in God's word. Thank you for for your love for each and every person in this room. God, I pray for families. I pray for young couples. I pray for those who are getting married. Lord, I pray for the singles in the room, for the kids in the room, and for everybody else, Lord. God, I pray that you would encourage their souls today to be reminded that you have already overcome the world and you saved them from sin and hell and you love them unconditionally. God, would you speak life into their relationships, give them value and purpose in their jobs, and help them slow down and take it faith to faith, obedience to obedience, trusting you day by day. In Jesus' name, amen.